0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 83. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello automotive enthusiasts. Today I'm really excited to introduce a friend of mine and a really special guest, Dennis Hoyt. Dennis, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: I'm cinched down in first gear and ready to drop the clutch.
0: All right. I love that. Dennis Hoyt's artistic focus and drive are grounded in the tromploi concept. For over 30 years, his definition of art has been at odds with the conventional. His sculptures are both free-standing and wall-mounted and depict an automotive theme of motion and color. His sculptures are constructed of hand-carved wood that focused on abstract presentations of formal shapes. These pieces develop into large-scale works using wood as the primary medium, and the techniques he's developed have brought him international acclaim. His work has garnered over 60 articles and many awards, including the Peter Helk Award, five Athena Awards of Excellence, the Pebble Beach Concord d'Elegance Most Elegant Artwork Award, and he was the first recipient of the Raymond E. Holland Award for Vision and Creativity. Today's Dennis is, is focusing more on how much he can push that envelope, and you can find Dennis and his work at DennisHoyt.com. So Dennis, I've told our listeners just a little about you. Would you please take some time and share some more about your history and your career your interest and of course your passion for automobiles.
1: Sure, I'd love to. Um, let's begin with the fact that uh, at a very, very early age I had an interest in cars. I of course do not remember, but my parents told me that when I was three years old, while driving with them in their car, I could name every car that we passed on the road at three years of age.
0: Oh, <laughs> Wow.
1: Uh, I, I find that <clears throat> in this day and age, um a little strange, because uh, i can 't of course remember when I was three years old, but to to have an affinity for automobiles at that age, um, right now it kind of leaves me a little stupefied if i will <laughs>
0: something I, in the I, genetics
1: <laughs> yes, it must be uh, and some and, and I think since that time, I can recall when I was very young and living in the Northwest, um, I was always uh, collecting or drawing cars, collecting models, um, and then eventually started actually carving models. My mother actually got me an old wooden car carving kit at one time, which I just recently uh, received. I never did open it or touch it, so it's still an original box, but it's wow. fascinating that it all these years later, that's what I do for a profession. I remember one very, very distinct thing that happened when I was about 12 or 13 years old. We had just moved to a farm in northern Idaho on along Highway 53, and I was in the top of a tree as that lined that highway, two-lane highway and watching the cars go by. thats I would spend hours just sitting there watching the cars go by, looking at the body shapes, the colors, and so forth. At this time, a Chrysler turbine car drove by, and I just couldn't believe what I was looking at. Um, <laughs> of course, it hadn't even been released to the public. They were doing test models at that time with it, but I saw the actual turbine car go by, and I think that impression of that at that age, um, I mean, it's it's been with me. It's it's never left. I I just just awestruck by the fact wow. that this car in northern Idaho was driving on a highway, um, and this was way before it even was in the auto show. So
0: wow, <laughs> what a fun adventure!
1: Yeah, it was. You know, and I think then it was just the fascination with uh, automobiles, always trying to take a scrap piece of wood and and carve uh, a shape, a form, um, and I had very crude, of course, knives at the time and tools. So um, uh, I still wish now I had some of those. My mother might have kept them, I don't know, but uh, it would be very fascinating to see uh, after all of these years.
0: Sure. Wendy, at what point did you really start creating some of the work that has evolved into what you're doing today?
1: Actually, it was um, after I was married. Um, I got married fairly late in life, I was 35, and we moved to the Oregon coast and I went back to creating sculptures um, that I had done previously of uh, wildlife scenes and coastal scenes and doing commission work for people that lived on the coast or in the valley. And I kept talking about doing something with automobiles. I didn't really know what. I just wanted to do something different, and I was using wood as my primary medium. So uh, it was, it, I'd worked in it all my life, so it was very natural. But I couldn't put my head around, if you will, what to do about it. And after our first three years of marriage, my wife said to me, well, you had to just do something instead of talk about it. Mm. And this really got underneath my skin. I felt insulted by that. <laughs> uh, I thought to myself, how is she telling me what to do? But it was the motivation I needed to get up and literally go out and create something instead of just think about it. To, As the old saying goes, just do it. Yeah. And once I started the first piece, I had ideas for the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and I haven't looked back since.
0: Your story is wonderful, and especially for entrepreneurs listening to this show, and the fact that you're living in Oregon and that just do it quote, which came from the land of Nike uh, from your your spouse, hopefully she's the one that told them to use that line, and you're still getting those residual checks uh, <laughs> is always is almost always the catalyst that we need is just start, just start doing yeah. something. It doesn't have to be perfect but just begin. So that's fantastic. And for listeners that have not seen Dennis's work, you've got to go to his website, DennisHoyt.com, and see what we're talking about because you won't believe it. It is so different, so unique. It has that feeling of motion and the wood combination with the paint and the automotive theme. Absolutely fantastic. And I've known Dennis a long time and watched his work evolve. So it's, it's a really interesting how you just did it and how it's brought you to today. I think it's fantastic. And as we continue on your journey, I always like to start our conversation with a success quote. And it's a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. And it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, Dennis, take the wheel.
1: All right. I think it goes back to one thing that... Juan Manuel Fangio said years ago he told young drivers to never think they were the best but always try to be the best Mm. and that just captured the essence of our creativity you've got to constantly push yourself you've got to constantly push the borders you've got to constantly evolve if you don't you become stagnant and Frankly, I find it very boring if I don't push to the
0: next level. Well, that's a great quote, and I wonder how you've incorporated that success quote, that that great saying by a great driver, Fangio, into your work and into your life. Can you share some of that with us?
1: Sure. The when I first started, I thought that I had to represent the automobile very literally. I had seen a lot of the work by other artists, and that seemed to be the direction that everybody was going. And when I first started, I would look at creating a literal uh, interpretation of a a certain mark, and I would be faced with the challenge, or how do I terminate this? I'm not a model maker. I don't want to make a model of something but how to, where do I if I do a section of a car, how do I terminate it? So when I first started, I was squaring everything up, if you will, and putting it in the frame, so you had this three dimensional um, sculpture coming out of this rectangular or square shape and after a couple of years that I became so repetitious, I thought well, there's got to be other ways to to showcase a piece of sculpture that isn't confined within a given shape. So I started experimenting with free form, again, not knowing where or how to terminate the edges. Where do you stop? You've got a fender line that goes all the way to the windscreen. Well, where do you cut that off? Do You cut it off at the windscreen. You cut it halfway back. And the more that I worked on this, the more that I developed this what I would call an evaporative process where you start with a small series of holes and maybe they get larger and larger till there's no material left and I found this to be very artistic because you could recognize the particular car uh, from the point one perspective, but as you went over the piece it would start diminishing the, the the material would be would disappear, so to speak, then I evolved and moved on to okay the thing that fascinates me most is speed and motion, and i 'm fascinated with the mindset that people have when they see an automobile going by at tremendous speeds. What does their mind capture? what do they remember most and i 'm trying to uh, then I'm thinking to myself, how do I capture this? How do I capture this? How do I make this piece of work, this sculpture, look like it's going 200 miles an hour? Mm-hmm. And I kind of fell back to this evaporative idea, and I thought that if I were to elongate the sculpture, to put a secondary shell, if you will, well, over the car and elongate those features, you start blurring the lines of reality. You start blurring the subject matter itself, and therefore you start enhancing the impression of speed and motion. And the more that I worked on that, the very first piece I did was The Ragged Edge, which sold immediately at Pebble Beach way back in 1991, I think it is. It really taught me that I don't have to confine myself to the, the uh, physical dimensions of the automobile. I can extrapolate these aspects or signature elements of the car and create this illusion. And over the years, I've constantly been working on ways to make that even better, to, uh, to enhance it even more, to create this intense and immediate impression of speed and motion. Color also fascinates me with the fact that the colors change. So a lot of my sculptures, um, I can cite an example, the Porsche 917L that I created for a client. Um, he asked me, how would I make this 917, the psychedelic Porsche, and mm-hmm. um, go make it look like it's going as a high rate of speed, immediately the idea struck me is take the paint scheme and extrapolate it, elongate it out. Mm -hmm. The paint just loses off the back of the car. And um, so then to further enhance that, I always put things like the values at the front of the car are lighter values because I want the front of the car to be almost red hot, so it's almost a white hot. So the value color values are a lot whiter at the front, but as you transition across the car into the tail end and off to the blur, it gets darker and darker and darker again. The, by changing the values from from front to back, and you create the helps create the illusion of speed because. What you're seeing at the very end, the car has already gone by and everything is starting to cool down, so it's therefore darker. <laughs> um, Wonderful. These, these are some of the things that I try to do, not only with the shapes, but with the colors to give this impression of speed.
0: Oh, and it does. It does. It's almost as if the car is coming to pieces and then evaporating the air. And I, As I'm listening to you explain this, I'm thinking of that little boy sitting in the tree watching that turbine car go by and the impression that it's left in your mind of the, the speed and the motion and the color. <laughs> it's fantastic. I love it. Would you share with us a story that you think instigated your passion for cars, perhaps that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy?
1: Oh, boy. I think it has to be, when I was growing up, We didn't have much in the way of television as they do today. As a matter of fact, we had a little black-and-white set when I was growing up. And being in a rural area, you don't have much exposure to, to things like that. But I remember going to town with my mother, and every car magazine that I saw, I would quickly glance at it, and occasionally I would have money to buy one. Um, and then I'd pour over it time and time and time again. And I think during the mid-50s, when all of these cars were constantly changing every year, uh, the body shapes, the colors, um, they weren't, you know, you go from a 56 to a 57 Chevrolet or 58 Mercury to a 60, uh, it was always, always evolving. And because of that, I, I think I started looking at these shapes and and some of them were glorious and how i could visualize that and started working carving these little wooden cars in all these different <laughs> shapes but always looking at trying to make them you know, relating to speed i was i had this fascination with speed and motion and i would try to figure out ways at an early age of I would do a certain car design or a certain carving because I thought it looked faster than another mark.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure. No, that makes sense. I like that. That's wonderful. So Dennis, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and, and really crawl under the hood, maybe get our hands a little dirty and have you share a story with our listeners of a huge challenge or even a big failure that you faced in your career that pushed you to a breaking point or, Almost got you there. But more importantly, share how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it.
1: I think there's one, well, there's actually two pieces of work that really were a stumbling block for me, if you will. The first was the first impressionistic piece of The Ragged Edge, which was a tribute to the late Gilles Villeneuve. Um, And I read an article that described the instant Moments of his death, and and how, as one writer put it, he was always at the ragged edge. And I thought, how do I interpret that? Uh, how do I create this, you know, almost visceral disregard for life by creating this motion sculpture? And that's when I uh, worked on um, developing the secondary skin that went over the car. And shredded it, and all the edges were ragged. All the edges on the sculpture are ragged. The tires are ragged. The body sculpture was ragged. The only thing that wasn't ragged was the helmet in the cockpit. And it took me about six months to actually create that piece because I kept having problems with keeping the secondary skin. Uh, tight enough to the main body and yet um, there was a point where you reach a, a, what I call fragility where the, piece, the wood can't take any more stress and it breaks so I have to go back and rethink how I'm going to carve the secondary skin to fit over and I ended up doing it in a series of layers and pieces that's the only way I could make it work cohesively um, It eventually worked out since that time, of course. I have figured out other ways of doing it, and I think the second piece that was a challenge to me was the Porsche 917L. Because I got the crazy idea that this could be done in two pieces, the car would be one piece and the entire blur coming off the car would be the other piece. And since the blur was almost four feet long, it was an extreme challenge to carve and hollow out these color undulations from the paint scheme as it dipped and twirled and came off the back of the car. And it was was almost to the point where I gave up on it once because it was extremely time-consuming. I spent almost ten and a half months just trying to carve and sand and detail and color the tail end or the blur aspect of that car. I can give you an example. Since the car was psychedelic, a lime green and this purpley blue was more of a purple than a blue, uh, and I had these definite lines of color distinctions, I had to take a a frisket or a medium of uh, of, uh, latex and paint the entire car except the green areas with uh, several layers of latex. Well, I'm trying to do this inside of all of these blurs and outside, underside, backside, topside. Once that got covered with four or five layers of latex, then I could put my dyes on this which side... or what I use for coloring the wood, because the dyes enable the wood grain to be seen, so people can see it's wood Mm -hmm. and not plastic. Mm -hmm. Um, Then once the green was put on, then I had to remove all that latex from the entire piece uh, and then paint latex over the green, because the blue purples was going on next and I didn't want them to interact with the green that was already there. The problem I faced there was that the latex was drawing the color back out of the green. Mm-hmm. So I had to re-latex the whole car except for the green areas, put a very thin coat of clear sealer on the green areas only, then strip off the latex again, then re-latex the green areas that I had put this thin layer of clear coat on, so therefore I wouldn't be drawing the color back out of that green area. Then I had to go through the blue process, then the purple process, and then go in with the blacks, and then the white highlights because there is a white line that differentiated the blue from the green, and that all stemmed back from when the car first came to Le Mans. It basically was a psychedelic paint scheme, but it was only in white, and they painted it Shortly before the race started, in these these colors. Mm-hmm. So that's where the, the white is the masking lines, where they mask off between the blue and the green to make it all work. <laughs> but those two pieces um, drove me crazy. Uh, literally drove me crazy because uh, the amount of work involved, um, people just, unless you were there with me every day, constantly, week after week after week. You can't understand the number of hours that go into something like that.
0: Oh, wow. Well, but perseverance is the word that comes to mind as I listen to this story. You stuck with it, and I'm sure you learned a whole lot of things from it. And the pieces are fantastic. They are masterpieces in my mind, and I'm sure you're very proud of them. And the owners um, probably look at them every day with amazement and say, how did the guy do this? (laughs) It's just fantastic. Dennis, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. Would you share a story with us when you had a real aha moment about your career in sculpture and art, a time when you realized that, you know what, I think think I'm going to make it, this is really going to work, and, and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success.
1: Aha moment. Oh, boy. I think the aha moment was my first three automotive pieces, which were of a Portion Porsche 956, a 911, and then a Ferrari Testarossa. And I, nobody had seen what I had done. I was living in Oregon. I contacted, uh, who's now a good friend, an artist that I read about, Harold Cleaworth, who uh, invited me next time I was in California to stop by, and he would take a look at him And when I got the opportunity, I think this was on a Monday, Um, I called him up and said, I'm going to be in the LA area. And he said, yeah, come on over. And he took a look at what I did and he said, you need to go talk to a man in Beverly Hills. And he called, um, a gentleman in Beverly Hills who was putting on a car uh, art show. And I called him and he wanted to meet with me and I saw him on a Tuesday, um, and he immediately booked me for a show later on. And he said, but you need to meet this man in in Burbank, California. has got this obscure little automotive bookstore. Uh, his name is Neil East. And he said, this man, Neil East, has been in the industry for years. He knows everybody, and he should see what you're doing because nobody's ever done this before. So he called him, and I called Neil East and, and said, this is who I am, uh, I was told to come and see you, and he said, yeah, stop by, and I walked into his little bookstore in Burbank, he uh, had this wooden, uh, very simple, quite elegant, but a very simple, small model uh, on the desk, and before I brought my pieces in to show him, he says, is this something that you do, and I looked at him, and I said, well, no, not Really? And he said, okay, let me see what you've got. So I brought the pieces in, and he immediately got on the phone and contacted Bill Mata of Road and Track magazine and said, you've got to see what this guy does. And Bill was a little reluctant at first because he says, I just don't have the time. I just don't have the time. He says, and Neil said, I'm telling you, you've got to see what this guy's doing. And I'm sitting there, not knowing too much about who Bill Mata was, or I knew, of course, Road and Track, but um, I hadn't really a clue. said, so, well, he's the art editor, and you gotta see him. So Bill relented and said, okay, I can give him five minutes of time. Can he be here on Thursday? And I said, sure, I'll be there on Thursday. So Thursday morning, I got up and drove to Newport Beach, went to the headquarters of Road & Track Magazine, I walked in, met the receptionist, and said, Hi, I'm Dennis Hoyt. Uh, I was on the appointment to see Mr. Mata, and I have three pieces of art I want to bring in. She says, Okay, fine, uh, just bring them on in and set them down over here. And I said, Okay. I went out to the vehicle, got the first piece, brought it in, set it down, went out to the vehicle to get the second piece. By the time I got inside with the second piece, half the staff of road and track was looking at it. (laughs) I got the second piece down, went out to get the third piece. By the time I come back in, the entire building had emptied out to the reception area, and we're looking at these pieces of work. And at that moment, Mr. Mata came down the stairs, and he said, would you mind bringing them upstairs? I said, no, I don't mind at all. And I had a lot of help getting the pieces upstairs. We went upstairs. I was there for two and a half hours. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. and at
1: that moment I said
0: I think I've got something. Yeah, I think so. What a great and, story. <laughs> and and
1: that was the time and I also met uh Mr. Ken Eberts, who was the president of the Automotive Fine Arts Society. And as so at that point they asked me if I would be would consider joining the Automotive Fine Arts Society. And I said, Uh, yeah, I don't even know what it is, but I guess so. Mm-hmm. So
0: there you go, off and running. That's great. I love that. What a wonderful story. Is there um, a first car, first really special car that you had, Dennis, that you could share with us?
1: Oh, my! my well, my first car wasn't, you know, I still have an affinity for it. Uh, it was a little Fiat 600D, which is just like the little Fiat 500s now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the car that I think made the biggest impression on me um. After my stint in the military, um, I had purchased a car overseas, which is a Triumph TR6, and one day I went to the Seattle BMC dealer, and here sat the car that I'd lusted over for two or three years. It was Lotus Europa. Mm. And I walked in and saw that and knew immediately I had to have it. So I approached the salesman and said, I want that car. And he says, well, what do you have? And I told him the TR6. He says, well, how much do you owe it? I said, I don't know really anything it's paid for. And he jumped through hoops. I had that car within an hour.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. That's great. Is there a vehicle that you've had in your past that you sold that you really wish you could have back?
1: Well, I, I didn't sell. There was one I had an opportunity to buy, and I just, I think now. Oh, you passed up on that uh, in 1969. I think it was 69. I was offered a 289 Shelby Cobra, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll never forget maroon color. It had some dings in the aluminum, not bad. And I looked at those and I thought, well, I don't know anybody that knows how to work aluminum. How am I going to get it fixed? You know, I, I now nah, I'm gonna, the price. Was forty five hundred dollars,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> and
1: I think back now and I go, "Oh, you tell me." You know? Well,
0: <laughs> the past is the past.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: Is there a current project you're working on right now, Dennis, that really has you excited and fired up?
1: Well, there are two actually. Um, one of them is I'm working currently on. I had a, well, I have a client who wants a piece of my work but they for one reason or another it cannot protrude off the wall they want to hang it on the wall it's got to have a shallow depth so i am working on doing something really quite radically different from anything i've ever done before and that is to do a signature element of the car but do it in two tone or actually one color only and this particular piece it'll be piece it'll be black Uh, and taking it back to a rectangular framed piece but it's almost going to be like a negative so you've got a black and it's all cut away so that the wall behind it shows so you've just got this suggestion of the car in a two dimensional format and I'm going to incorporate steel with the wood because some of these aspects of the sculpture are going to be so fragile that the wood would not Uh, stand up to any kind of abuse, wear, tear, or movement whatsoever. So that's a challenge. The other uh, thing I'm working on now is the idea of creating a life-size sculpture of a Formula One car at speed, and the total sculpture would be about 32 feet long.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. That will be something to see.
1: <laughs> but what I want to do with that sculpture is, and I'm still working out the mechanics of making this thing stable enough, is that I want to enable the potential client or customer to be able to sit in the sculpture and physically become part of the sculpture. Oh, uh, the wow. things like the helmet. It's going to be blurred so that when you get in, you can put a helmet on and you're part of the sculpture. You're a blurred image in the piece.
0: Oh, my goodness. That sounds wonderful. That's really great. Now, here's a funny question for you, Dennis. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why?
1: I'd be a Ferrari.
0: And why is that?
1: Uh, And I think I'd be, I think my all-time favorite car of mine, it's a race car, is the P4. Mm. It is such a gorgeous shape. I mean, it it just evokes speed and motion just standing still. Um, the second car would be a pontoon-pendered Testarossa, but uh, the P4, to me, is the ultimate. Uh, even the cars today, I don't think it ha- they have the panache, the grace, and the beauty of a P4. Yeah,
0: beautiful car. So, Dennis, we're up to the last lap, and this is where I fire off a series of questions. And you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: Never give up. Never give up. Never give up.
0: I love it. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success?
1: Never give up. Never (laughs) give up. Never give up.
0: (laughs) And get up early in the morning because we're doing this uh, interview at 6 a.m.
1: I'm usually up by 4.
0: Yeah, you're an early bird. That's for sure. And I've heard that from many of our guests as a, as something that is a, a personal habit that's gotten them ahead is, is get up early and get started with the day. That's great. But I love that. Never give up. Never
1: give up. Never give up. Do
0: you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars and art?
1: I love the outdoors. Of course, we are now reside in a gorgeous part of the state and to be surrounded by tall trees and conifers and uh, wildlife. But I just enjoy watching the wildlife, and my wife and I often take excursions and just drive and go up to a mountain's edge or cliff and just spend an afternoon um, just taking nature in.
0: I'll remind our listeners you can find links to all these resources at carsyeah.com slash Dennis Hoyt, and his last name is H-O-Y-T. Okay, Dennis, we're up to the checkered flag. This last question can be a real doozy for some, but maybe you've already answered it. If you could only have one collector car in your garage and money's no object, I'm going to buy you whatever you want today. What would that vehicle be and why? P4. The, the P4. P4. Yeah. yeah. And again, yeah. is it just the, the design and flow? It looks like a moving
1: sculpture. Well, and it's just gorgeous. Um, the proportions are correct. It's uh, just, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's what... Automobiles should be automobile should be beautiful. I have issue with some of the current design philosophies. Um, they look like they were put together by a committee, um, you know. And I, I look at the works of Scaglietti and some of his masterful designs over the years. That that and this man, and I met the gentleman several years ago. As a matter of fact, he even signed. One of my sculptures, and he called me El Maestro. Bennett. Oh, wow! I—I I was so humbled by this man because he was such an amazing talent. Uh, and the only way I think you can appreciate as a sculptor, I have to feel and touch all of these contours I create. And when I run my hands over the, the pontoon fender, Testa Rosa Everything is naturally where it should be. Yeah. Everything feels correct as you traverse over the shapes. Uh, and this man had it. He really had it. He
0: did. Know? He did. You must have been in heaven at Pebble Beach this past summer with all those testaroses on the line.
1: Oh, <laughs> I was thinking of him as they went by. I'll bet.
0: I'll bet. Well, Dennis, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories and learning more about how you come up with these amazing and wonderful Creations of art. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me today. Could you give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Ferrari?
1: Yes. Uh, one thing that I think uh, is going to be really important to any young artists or artists is that they um, to be themselves. Do not copy anybody else's work. Do what you do. Um, nobody remembers number two. Everybody remembers who's the first. So if you've got an idea for something that's different and unique, you know, follow through with it. Go with it. Uh, And I might also say that if people wanted to get a little bit more insight as to my thinking, I do write a feature called Contours, for the Automotive Fine Arts Society Journal that's A-F-A-S-J-O-U-R-N-E-A-L dot com and these Contours articles I talk about why artists should make their work unique and set themselves apart by being different Um, you know and I think that's the parting words that I can tell you you've you've got to set yourself apart because uh, there's too many wannabes and people to copy other people and if you can do that um, whatever the the particular event or venue would be um, you'll gain recognition faster you'll gain acceptance faster and you'll be remembered over anybody else
0: absolutely that's a great piece of advice and what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you would it be your website
1: yeah Yeah, go to my website, and um, they can email me, of course. There's an address on the website. And uh, I'd be more than happy to talk about commissions or work or directions or anything else a person might have. I do talk to a lot of young students um, about uh, art and directions of art and um, how I think that this industry in some ways is closed as and I might be biting the hand that feeds me here, but um, I think the interpretation of what automotive art can be can be more than just a literal interpretation.
0: Mm, yeah, and that's what you've done. And again, I'll remind our listeners: just go to carjia slash Dennis Hoyt, and you can find the resources and Dennis's website, which is real easy: www dot Thank you, Dennis, for being so generous with your time today and your expertise and sharing your experiences with me and the listeners until we talk again i'll see you down the road
1: you bet put it in gear
0: thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at cars yeah drive on over to CarsYa.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun